We are digital nomads. We work anywhere. We're not limited by location. We're not limited by self-belief. We are works in progress. I'm Beck Power, and this is the Nomad Me Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to Nomad Me. Today, we're talking to Viv Egan about writing as a freelancer. Originally an Aussie, she's now based in London. Viv's also a co-producer of the Nomad and Spice podcast, which you should definitely check out as well. Viv is awesome. Be like Viv. Let's do this. All right, Viv Egan, what is up? Hi, Beck. Uh, what is up? I just um, I got back from a little trip. To, um, so I'm in London. This yeah. is where I live. Yes. Um, I'm in my little home office in London. And I'm very excited because the other day I actually left the UK for the first time in quite a while and I went on just like a four-day trip to the south of France where a friend of mine uh, was staying for a a month. So I went and drank a lot of wine with her, ate a lot of cheese, brought a lot of cheese back, which I think probably didn't endear me to the other passengers on my (laughs) flight, but was totally worth it. (laughs) I love it, a cheese trip. That's exactly <laughs> what everyone should do, 100%. If I was in the UK, I'd be doing, like, yeah, cheese weekends. <laughs> yeah. How oh, my God. So good. Sorry? How long have you been based in the UK for? Um, oh, a little bit over, like, a year and sort of three months-ish, I think. I got, I got a – I have a spouse visa via my partner, John. Um, so – yeah, we've kind of we moved back effectively at the end of 2016. Um, but we'd kind of been like in and out quite a lot and I had lived here in the past. So when people ask how long I've been like in the UK, I've, I say like on and off for about seven years, but I've been back home a bit and stayed there in 2015. Home is Sydney, Australia, by the way. Um, yeah, so, you know, and... Um, one of the nice things actually about, you know, being a nomad is that when you are in a, an international couple, it means that you don't have to like, you know, choose quite so like one or the other. It's like, I do live here, but I'm going home like three times this year. Um, I can, I can stay for as long as I like. It's, um, it was one of the real impetus is for me to, like go nomad is to um to be able to have that flexibility yeah and how long would you say because i mean there's so many the good thing about being a nomad is there's so many different variations that people are living mm. how how long would you say you've been nomading for well so i usually would say um since the start of i sort of transitioned into it during 2013 and then properly started traveling at the start of 2014 but um, before that, I was kind of doing the, like, um, working holiday thing in the UK as well. So I've kind of been in that world for a while. But officially, I, I would say, like, I started calling myself a digital nomad in, like, 2014. But now I'd probably more call myself location independent. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I don't really think about the difference between those, but mm. it does make sense because a lot of people, I mean, you know, with um, Kit and Nick and a few other people, they're like traveling full time, but you and I are kind of based somewhere doing cheese runs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In our own 
way, I guess, right? Yeah, the way I describe it is like, you know how, um, let me get this right, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. It's like all digital nomads are location independent, but not lo all location independent people are digital nomads. Oh, wow. how I think of it. Because it's like, I think of nomading as very much like new place every couple of months, yeah. uh, you know, whatever. But obviously, this, as you say, a lot of variation within that. Um, but, yeah, I'm more like I have a house and I go travelling when I feel like it. Yeah, it's cool. When you run out of cheese. Mm, mm, basically, yes. Love it. Man, I'm so jealous. I have to do, if I'm going to do a cheese run, I have to go from like, I mean, last time I went from Bangkok to Spain, I was like, this is going a long way. But I did bring a lot of cheese back with me. Like, back. Excellent. That's commitment. You never have too, too many cheeses. <laughs> I've hosted some significant cheese parties here in Bangkok since I... Uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. Significant cheese parties. It was, it was <laughs> a great phrase. Really good time for sure. Like over, over, um, sometimes I end up over cheese, but what can you do? <laughs> well, you might need to get over to London because uh, I think I'm going to be working on this lot for a while. <laughs> Amazing. Hey, so how, like when you started doing your nomading in 2013, 14, how did you get started? What was the time that you, what, like, usually there's a catalyst or something that happened. How did that go? Yeah, there was definitely a catalyst. So um, I had been, I had been working in the UK for like a tiny little digital marketing agency. And one of my jobs was to, I used to write content for our clients and a lot of our clients were travel clients. So I would write like a blog um, for them and then my job would be to find another website like a blog a related blog to post it on so my job used to be like going through all these travel blogs and finding travel bloggers who would accept uh, like a guest post in exchange for a fee and from there I sort of found my way into digital nomad blogs and I was like oh my god I want to do that <laughs> I don't want to be sitting here like writing someone else's like travel blogs and paying some some blogger I want to be the one with the blog right I want to be on the receiving end of that transaction um so that kind of got me ticking over thinking about it and then the I had planned to um to have my work sponsor me just stay on in the UK um but that turned out to be a very difficult thing to do and then I got to this point where I was like hang on I hate this job I don't want to be in it for another five years because that's how long you have to stay in the job if you get a visa oh, yeah. and you still want to stay in the UK. Like if you change jobs, you'd have to start all over again or go home. Um, and I was like, wait, I'm already, I was already doing a little bit of freelancing. I was like, why don't I just do this? Like, I don't, I don't need this job. I've been reading about these digital nomads. Let's do, let's do that. So, I, yeah, that was when I kind of started um, making, I like quit my job and then started making like changes to like how I was planning to make money and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, and then we just had to wait. John also wanted to do the digital nomad thing, but at the time he was a comedian um, in a sketch comedy group. So um, we needed to like, he needed to sort of finish um, current show he was doing um, 
and like basically let his colleagues know that he wasn't going to be doing it anymore. So he kind of like he wound that down over a couple of months, and then then after that, we started traveling. So yeah, that was how I started. That's awesome. So when when you just um, thinking from the point of view of someone who is, and I try to do this on the podcast, obviously a lot. Someone who's thinking about getting started. Um, as you know maybe it sounds like writing is something that uh i started i started that way as well more or less um it sounds like writing something that's an easier way to get started as a nomad than others how like what strategies or tips do you have for starting out as a writer did you start it you said you started a blog so i did start a blog but it didn't go very far um i guess the thing was that i was already like I, I had already been a professional writer for a bunch of years. So I was already feeling quite like um, very confident in my skills with that. Um, in terms of advice I would give to people. So um, I recently advertised for like an assistant position, like an entry level role um, for someone to help me. And I was, I'm, I'm looking to, sort of hopefully train someone up to do the kinds of things that I do. Um, and a lot of people contacted me. They're like, I really want to be a writer, but I don't have any um, uh, examples. I don't have any samples of my work. Um, and I think the thing that a lot of people don't realise is that it, and I think because what they were thinking was I don't have any examples of work that I've done for a client. Like I haven't been paid to do this yet. Um, and I think is important to note that you don't have to have been paid to do it in order to give some to show someone if you if you can write or not right so you could do it might be a blog post on your website or um a like a submission for you know a local culture magazine or blog or something like that something you've done in an internship even an essay i had a couple of people send me like assignments that they had done at university or college, um, you know, anything like that is, I think, fine. And if you just sort of have your little portfolio, even like it doesn't matter if it's small, doesn't matter if you've been paid for it or not, um, just to show what kind of a writer you are is, I think, the first the first step because you can't you can't get writing work if you like if you can't show anything that you've written but it doesn't have to be something that someone else has paid you for because obviously there's always, you always have to write the first thing that someone isn't paying you for, right? Like there's got to be, you've got to start somewhere. Well, you said, um, you know, different type what, or what kind of writer you are. Are there different, I mean, obviously there are writers for different verticals Some people only write for dentists, et cetera. Like, what are the types of writing that, uh, you know, relatively Mm, that's a great question actually so um you'll find there are lots of different um ways you can be a writer so for me i most of what i do is like thought leadership um blog posts by which i mean like i will write in the voice of say like an exec in a at a recruitment firm and it will i'll be writing as them and they will be putting out some like you know idea into the industry um so and that is quite like it took me quite a while to get up there and so i would say um 
I think the easiest thing to break into would be what I'd say B to C, so business to um, to uh, consumer. So um, stuff like travel or um, uh, well, um, I can't think other other B to C industries, um, but sorry. Sorry, one thing I thought was maybe um, having run a few e-commerce stores, we were always looking for someone to, you know, do like sales emails. Yeah, definitely. One that was keen to do it because there's so many sales emails that, you know, some people email their list every day for selling different stuff depending on the industry. So, yeah, you're right. Like business consumer, there's a lot of work there. Yeah, and um, I think in terms of like that so, and then, so it goes by kind of vertical and also by the kind of content, right? So I write a lot of blog posts and I, I, I can honestly say I've never written a sales email, but I know that a lot of people make really good money writing sales emails or um, um, social content or web page copy, which is different from a blog post. So web page is obviously a more static thing um, and so it needs different different sort of thought goes into that um in terms of easiest i mean i think that writing blog posts is easiest because everyone kind of knows like how a blog post goes and obviously there's a certain art to it um but if you've written a blog post on your travel blog for instance before um the easiest thing to do would be to do that again but for a client um stuff like sales emails and, and I think they call it direct sales copy. I believe that's where the really big bucks can be when you're a writer um, because there's a direct correlation between what you write and how much uh, income it can generate for your client. Um, so I think you have to be really uh, confident and really know what you're doing. Like very, it's, it's a very like, Mm, difficult thing I think to like choose the exact words that are going to make people act in a certain way um so yeah I guess it just depends on what your kind of experience is I would definitely just start where you're comfortable if you're like hmm, I've, I've, I've written some emails for like um my for like a, a club or society that I'm in so I've done I've done newsletters before, so I can start out in newsletters, for example. Okay, cool. Um, what resources would you recommend for someone getting started as a writer? Oh, that's a great question. Just, um, these questions are golden, and they're just coming out. So, <laughs> such a good interview, Avec. Um, resources. Okay. Um, I think personally, I think the best resources are other people who are already doing it. Um, yeah, because I think I've, I've done a couple of courses and things that I've paid for and to be honest, I, I didn't get that much out of them. Um, but what I have got out of them, so like I'm thinking in particular of one course I did where I was like, oh, I know all this stuff. But then at the end of the course, I got put in a private Facebook group graduates of the course and through that group I've gotten like loads of I've got several clients and also like support from other people so you can go in the group and be like I've been asked to quote for this kind of job I've never done that before how would you guys go about it 
Um, so I think looking for those kind of online communities, I really find Facebook groups actually to be really useful. Um, but, you know, they have to be quite like targeted. There are some copywriting groups that are just immense and everything kind of gets lost in there. But if you find like, uh, even just in your area where you're from, so like I'm in a couple of London digital freelancer groups and that I found really useful. Um, there's also a podcast that I listen to called, I'm just pulling it up, the Copywriter Club podcast, which I've found, I think that's the best like free resource that I've found because um, they talk a lot about the business of building, you know, finding a copy, copywriter business. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, talk to people, find people, find someone to mentor you. Um, is I think really important and because that's like when I first first started out as a baby writer um, I got a mentor through my first internship who really taught me a lot on the job about writing like I've never studied writing per se but um, learning on the job having someone giving you feedback is invaluable and I think as a freelancer you often don't get feedback unless it's negative so um, Sometimes it's just like, yep, great, cool, or can you change these couple of things? Cool. And no one will say, I really liked when you did this. This was really cool. I think if you flipped that structure around, it would be more compelling. Uh, they're not because your clients aren't invested in your career growth the way maybe a manager might be. So finding a mentor who can kind of step into that position and like help you become a better writer is uh, a really good way to like accelerate your skills. That's cool. Yeah, I find that a lot of times when people are asking questions in these digital nomad groups or whatever kind of groups, they quite often are looking for training and it feels mm -hmm. almost like they're looking for validation, like some sort of external, um, and, you know, that's fine, but, like, I don't feel like that's a good reason to do a course, you know. You want to you learn new skills, but, yeah. but I think if they a lot of times people talk themselves into, oh, I need to do this first before I become a writer. I need to, before I write a post, I need to do it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. just, just do it and then jump in and find, you know, mentors and friends and join these groups and learn as you go. And, and I feel like Absolutely. that's, yeah, that's worked well for you. So. Mm, it really has. Yeah. Because it's just one of those things that, um, because it's like, can you say people looking for validation, Writing can be very personal because a lot of people go, I want to be a writer when I grow up and, and it comes from a place of wanting to be creative and, um, and that kind of thing. Um, so it can be very like disheartening if it doesn't work or um, yeah, but I think just thinking because I, I think of my, the writing that I do, I don't do it because I love writing thought leadership content. I do it because I'm good at it and I have those skills and those skills are like the best application. That's the best application of my skills for the greatest return, like financially is basically is why I've gone down that road in particular. And I do it like I enjoy it because, um, you know, I like it sort of tickles that part of my brain where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like a, a naughty um, concept that I have to explain in a simple way, for example. I enjoy doing that, um, but I don't 
so I think of it as like almost like a trade, you know, like a turn up, like, you know, a carpenter, um, I build something and I don't have to, you know, be in the zone. I just turn up, I do it, switch it off, go home. Um, but I think if you approach it in that way of like, these are a set of skills and there are skills that I can improve at because, you know, no one's born being a really great copywriter. Um, then I think that's a, a better way to approach it, perhaps. That's interesting and, and actually profound, I think. No one's born being a great copywriter. Um, Thank you. I thought it was quite good as well, actually. <laughs> I think you might have, like, a good, uh, you know, an aptitude for it, but it doesn't mean you have the ability yet. So I think I, I always had the aptitude to be good at what I do because I have, you know, facility with language. But, I, you know, I didn't start out great I started out my that first mentor that I told you about I sent him like a piece a trial piece and came back and he was like this sounds like a press release and it was like meant to be a, it was a review of the theater theater piece and I was like oh no oh no he hates it and he was like but I'm going to give you a, like a trial internship anyway I was like oh. so yeah um everyone starts out needing to learn stuff yeah, I agree. It's something that I've really been learning a lot about the last few months myself is that, you know, when I was younger, for example, and I, I played tennis once, I went to have like a tennis lesson, right? And mm. the guy, like the coach was like, wow, you're really great at tennis. You're a natural. And mm. I was like, oh, cool. I'm a natural. And I started like wandering around thinking myself as a natural. I didn't continue with tennis because I was like, ah, whatever, I'm a natural. <laughs> And I feel like it's actually really damaging to think like that because then when I, you know, as I was growing up, I was like, well, if I'm not a natural at something, obviously I don't want to do it and I'm not going to. Mm, that's a real trap. Yeah. So, um, and it's only, honestly, it's only really recently in the last couple of years that I thought, wait a second, just because I'm not a natural at something doesn't mean I can't be good at it. And it, it really showed me the power of hard work and, you know, um because you're you're right this has really struck a chord with me I'm like (laughs) (laughs) and some people obviously you're right have aptitudes but if you want to be good at something you can literally be good at whatever you want you just have to put in the work for it totally cool are you ready for the quick fire round all right okay I'm not I'm not great at quick fire things so I'm gonna try my best (laughs) all right there's only like five questions you'll be fine no pressure um, okay. Ding, ding, ding. What book do you reread the most? Oh, great question. I mean, I think it's got to be, um, over, over my lifetime, I think it has to be, um, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Yes. That's amazing. You, I think you're the second person to say Harry Potter. That's like really Yeah. Yeah, and I think also particularly because because when I was reading it first, I was a teenager. I really enjoyed the chapter, uh, the two chapters leading up to um, the Yule Ball. Um, so it's when they have like a, a dance thing, and there's all this like intrigue about who's going to ask who to the dance. And in my copy, it's like those two chapters are much dirtier than the rest. Because <laughs> we read those quite a lot. Oh my gosh. Mm, dork. <laughs> What's your, what passion project are you working on right now? Oh, Beck, I have so many passion projects. <laughs> um, 
So let me see. So I think the main one is probably um, my podcast that I host with um, Kit Wayland. So it's called Nomad and Spice. It's a podcast for location-independent women where we talk about stuff like charging what you're worth and um, the current episode we're we're working on a two-parter about having kids on the road at the moment with sort of talking about stuff that doesn't always get talked about in a kind of more masculine kind of nomad-y space um so yeah I think that's the the one that is my main focus and then I'm also at the moment producing a couple of shows for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with my partner so he's like written a play and I'm producing the play um and we're also doing a show that he and I developed called Werewolf Live um so that's also a passion project hopefully we make a little bit of money out of that one um and I also not many people in the nomad world know this but I have a non-profit um back in Sydney that I run with a friend um and we go into schools and run workshops about consent and safe relationships for teenagers wow I didn't know that that's awesome yeah it's like it's it's a little bit dormant at the moment but um we were like working on it we're doing a rebrand um yeah so I have yeah I have lots of passion projects sounds like it is that um if I may ask is that a an Australian non-profit so you would know how to set those up it is an Australian non-profit and I might know how to set that up it was quite a while ago that we did it um but you know if anyone ever wants to ask me about setting up an Australian non-profit then go for it niche topic but I (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, so this question I, I always want to ask because I feel like a lot of times the nomad, um, people's views of nomads are really, you know, that we, we're lounging around on beaches and things all the time. And um, whilst we do love a beach every now and again, I'm sure, uh, I want to know what is a really, um, a bad, has been a really bad moment for you when you thought you this might not work or things were, I don't know kind of depressing or what was a low point for you? Low point. I think um, I had early, early on um, when I was sort of didn't have many nomad friends and kind of, um, yeah, it was just kind of like me and John and we'd kind of like be in this apartment somewhere in the world like Chiang Mai or Budapest or whatever and I just when I I just didn't have a whole lot of money or a whole lot of uh, um, prospects in terms of client work and I would just instead of doing something about it it was kind of this like cycle where I would just freak out do nothing freak out more try desperately to like set up a you know some kind of like passive income uh stream and freak out because that didn't work and then you know I think you probably know what I'm kind of talking about is like this just this like oh god how am I doing this I never I never thought about quitting per se um but I definitely was like this is really hard and I don't have like the skills to like, I thought I basically, I thought that to be a, a nomad that you had to like be an entrepreneur 
um, and I don't think you do. Um, but like, I think it's a good way of doing it for sure. And I'd love to be more entrepreneurial in what I do instead of just like running a service-based business. But um, yeah, I think in those early stages, it was pretty lonely and like a little bit bleak on the money front. And yeah, I just couldn't find, couldn't think of a way out. And actually it took like going into, when I lived back in Sydney, for like a year, which was when I started up that nonprofit, um, I actually got like a contract job in a properly like in a corporate job, and it was sort of there that I was like, oh, I'm actually really good at this like higher paid thought leadership um, corporate work that gave me a lot of confidence to then go back out into the nomad world and go, these are my skills. Like I've got some really good skills now. Um, yeah. So that was, and that was kind of the turning point of like, Oh, I can, I actually, people will pay me good money for what I can do. Um, so that was nice. Cool. Awesome. Um, what, uh, what is your favorite city to nomad in? Mm. So I think, I think it's got to be Chiang Mai because I don't, I don't know why. I just, I really love the vibe and the kind of dy dynamicness of, of it. Um, and I really miss it. I don't really miss many places, but I really miss Chiang Mai. That said though, last year I had a very brief, like 20 hour stopover in Kuala Lumpur. And I feel like I could really get into KL. Really? Yeah. I don't know why could be because I have a friend who is a local and he like picked us up from the airport, showed us like all the coolest places. Um, but yeah, just loved it. Could, yeah, could definitely see myself spending quite a bit of time there. Awesome. Both in Asia. Yeah. I love Southeast Asia. I'm really jealous that you get to live there. I like, it's, I have a real kind of like push and pull between like, I really love living in London it's very good for the kind of cultural stuff, the theatre stuff, the, you know, all of that. But I have a real, like, desire to spend more time in Southeast Asia as well. Mm. Yeah, it's one thing um, I often hear people, oh, you're so like, I have to remember that, yeah, it's, like, really great to live here. Half yeah. I'm just being jealous of other people's locations. Like, I know. <laughs> Mexico right now I feel like I'm like oh why am I not in Mexico but if I was in Mexico I'd be mad because everyone was somewhere else so yeah 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 I think part of part of being a nomad and like because you have so many choices about where you spend your time you just have to kind of accept the fact that sometimes like that you will always have a yearning to be somewhere else. Even if you're enjoying the place where you are, there's like a little, there's a desire to be somewhere else and, and that's okay. Yeah, it's something where it's, it's kind of a curse, the nomad curse because it's a black. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, what is your, this is the last question, what's your advice to someone who wants to go nomadic but they are like overthinking it or just stressing out what they're I think my, my best advice is that there is no one right way to do it. Um, I spent a lot of time measuring myself up against other people and 
their goals and their businesses and I thought and I always found myself short so I think don't don't like don't try and compare yourself to what the, the big bloggers are doing also that those those visible people like you know don't forget about the fact that Instagram looks beautiful but they're probably like you know in spirals of despair at times as well you know you don't see that part on on the blogs so um yeah i think take your time follow your gut and um yeah make your own path i love it great advice Verva, it's been amazing to have you on the show thanks for joining us it's been my pleasure thank you so much for having me Thanks for tuning in today. If you love Nomad Me, make sure to leave your good review on iTunes. Every week I select a reviewer to win a lifetime Nomad Fly membership for free. All the show notes can be found at digitalnomad.me. See you tomorrow.